you are receiving this transmission, you are reclaiming the faith with Phil Baker on the Fourth Watch Radio Network. 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 Welcome to episode 55 of Reclaiming the Faith podcast with a mission to reveal what the earliest Christians believed about the core issues facing us today. I'm your host, Phil Baker. Now, let's dig into history. Hey, y'all. Thank you so much for taking time to listen to Reclaiming the Faith. Thank you to my new Patreon subscribers, uh, you can check out my Patreon at Phil, uh, sorry, patreon.com slash Phil S. Baker. And you'll get a new video every month uh, about one of the early Christian writers or one of the early Christian documents. It's usually like 10 to 20 minutes long. And then you'll also get a, uh, a video of me doing an acoustic version of one of my songs. And that's for all the $5 or more uh, subscribers there. Or you can just contribute a dollar if you just want to support this podcast, which is free. And speaking of this podcast, this is episode 55 called Lord Have Mercy. It's covering the uh, beatitude, blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. And we'll see how this beatitude is lived out in the lives of the disciples and in the life of Jesus. And we're going to get a little bit of commentary from uh, an early Christian named Cyprian and uh, an interesting look at the parable of the Good Samaritan that I think will bless y'all. Well, I'm blessed to be a part of Justin Falls Fourth Watch Radio Network along with BDK of Omega Frequency, who I do a monthly Q&A show with called Ready With An Answer. And if you have any questions about uh, what's, what's said on this podcast or BDKs or Justins, you can feel free to write into BDK or me. You can email me at Phil, uh, sorry, email Phil S. Baker at gmail.com. And uh, we'll take that question and we'll answer it on Ready With An Answer each month. So please check that out. As I said before, I've got a Patreon. Uh, it's patreon.com slash Phil S. Baker. If you want to help contribute to this ministry and help further it, uh, that would be a tremendous blessing to me. Uh, a couple months ago, I released, or one month ago, I released an EP called the Love and War EP. And I did uh, kind of a preview show with BDK on that album. If you want to kind of check out what those songs are about and get a little preview of them, but you can find that, um, that EP on iTunes or Spotify or CD Baby. So please go check that out. There'll be a link to it in the show notes. Also wrote a book in 2016 called New Wineskins and the Simple Words of Christ. And uh, if it's a blessing to you, I want to encourage you to leave a rating and review there on Amazon. And if this podcast is a blessing to you, please consider leaving a, a rating and a review on iTunes. And that'll help other people find this podcast. All right. Well, um, the early Christian quotes that I normally use can be found on the CD-ROM version of the Anti-Nicene Fathers, which you can purchase for a mere $5 on the Scroll Publishing website, scrollpublishing.com. Well, without any further ado, let's go ahead and get episode 55 rolling.
Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. This is the fifth beatitude of the eight beatitudes found found in Matthew chapter five and in Jesus's most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. And remember, these are attitudes of citizens of heaven. As Matthew four, one of the last verses in Matthew four says that Jesus goes around preaching the gospel, the good news of the kingdom of God, that God is king. He's reigning on his throne and he's come to turn the world right side up. And he does that one person at a time through his spirit coming and living in them, transforming them, giving them a new birth, uh, a new set of uh, DNA, basically, the DNA of Jesus coming and moving uh, slowly but surely like a mustard seed growing, uh, turning us, transforming us more and more, conforming us to the character and image of Jesus Christ to be reflections and better ambassadors of him and his kingdom in the world. And one of the most uh, powerful characteristics of our king and of his kingdom is that of mercy. Now, if you're like me, you grew up hearing uh, very limited definitions of the term mercy and terms mercy and grace. For instance, I was told growing up that grace means uh receiving what we don't deserve. Now, that is one definition of grace, to be sure, unmerited favor, but the Bible also defines grace in several other ways. It can just mean simple favor. It can mean divine help. It can mean gift. There's so many different uh, translations of the word grace in the New Testament, and I've, I've done an episode on that, so you can check that out in the earlier days of reclaiming the faith, really going deep into the way grace is used in the New Testament. Well, similarly to that, the word mercy has often been defined as not receiving what we deserve. And of course, that is a an accurate statement, kind of like the, uh, the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector in Luke, where the Pharisee is very proud and thanking God that he, not God, but the Pharisee is so good and keeps all the laws. Uh, and then you have this publican, this tax collector who goes and he won't even raise his eyes toward heaven. And he just says, Lord, have mercy on me. I'm a sinner. So only one of them goes out of the temple justified. And it is that, that tax collector. He recognized that he deserved death. He deserved only bad things from God. And so he's begging not to receive that. And so that's true. That's one way that mercy is, is demonstrated in scripture. But there's another more prominent way that mercy is described. And it's a very general definition and it's basically compassion. That's it. Uh, showing compassion to someone else, uh, God showing compassion to us, basically helping someone in their time of need, being moved to not just feel sorry for that person, but to actually do something about that person's need for help. So helping those who need help, that's mercy. Helping those who need help. And Cyprian writes about this in uh, around the year 250. Cyprian, of course, was the Bishop of Carthage, uh, someone who was martyred, someone who uh, was moved by the story of the rich young ruler. And Cyprian, a rich man at the time when he heard that, uh, literally sold everything he had and gave it to the poor. This guy is 
a legit Christian. He was martyred for his faith. And he writes this, blessed is he who considers the poor and needy. In the evil day, God will deliver him. Of this same thing also in the gospel, according to Matthew, blessed are the merciful for they shall obtain mercy. And also in the same place, lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust corrupts and where thieves do not dig through and steal for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And so it's interesting how Cyprian combines this idea of being a blessing to the poor and needy with being merciful. It's not as if we're withholding uh, destruction from the poor, like they deserve to die, so we're, we're not going to kill them. No, it's, it's not the absence of an action. It's actually the presence of an action. It's not the absence of wrath, but the, it's rather the presence of, of goodness, the presence of help, uh, the presence of reflecting God's character of mercy to someone else, helping those who need help. And so one of the best examples of this definition uh, is found in Luke chapter 10 in what is commonly known as the parable of the good Samaritan. So if you have a Bible, I'd encourage you to turn there to Luke chapter 10. We're gonna do a little bit of reading and then comment on it. So this is Luke chapter 10, and we're gonna start in verse 25. It says, a lawyer stood up and put Jesus to the test saying, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? This is a great question, isn't it? It's like the most important question, right? Verse 26, and Jesus said to him, well, what is written in the law? How does it read to you? And the lawyer answered, Well, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind, which of course is the the Shema from Deuteronomy 6. And then he says, and to love your neighbor as yourself. And there he's quoting from Leviticus 19, 18. And Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But wishing to justify himself, He said to Jesus, and who who is my neighbor? Now, this was a really important topic that was being uh, discussed in Jesus' times by, uh, by different rabbis. How do we keep this law, this very important law of loving our neighbors as ourself? Who is our neighbor? Is it just Jews? Does it extend to, uh, people in the, um, in Samaria? Does it involve Greeks? Gentiles, right? Barbarians, like, who is my neighbor? Is it the people across the street? How do we do this? We want to keep this law. How do we do it? Now, this guy wants to justify himself, probably because he recognizes that he has not been loving toward everyone the way the Bible calls him to. And so who do I not have to love, basically? Who is it okay for me to not demonstrate love to? So in response to this lawyer's question, Jesus doesn't just give him a straight up answer. He tells him a parable. He tells him a story. So Jesus, wrote, uh, Jesus said this in verse 30. So a man, speaking of a Jewish man, was going down from Jerusalem 
to Jericho, and he fell among robbers. And they stripped him and beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, uh, in the Jewish mind, Jericho would kind of be comparable to Las Vegas, all right? So this man is going to go sin. Like he has plotted, he has planned to go rebel against God. And so for those listening to him, when they hear about this man getting beat up and uh, left half dead, they would be thinking he got what he deserved. Um, So keep that in mind. And by chance, a priest was going down on that road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. Likewise, a Levite also, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. You know, they don't want to be rendered unclean. And so uh, they're, they're choosing between cleanliness and love. And so probably in their mind, they're thinking, I, in order to love God with all I have, I got to stay clean. I got to choose God over man. And that kind of makes sense. But that's not an appropriate uh, understanding of the scriptures. That's not an appropriate understanding of what it means to love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And so Jesus kind of clarifies that here. So these, this priest and this Levite pass the man who's dying on the road, but a Samaritan who was on a journey came upon him And when he saw him, he felt compassion. Now, it's interesting when Jesus said, but a Samaritan, you would have probably heard a gasp in the crowd. (gasps) What's going to happen to this Samaritan? He's going to get beat up too, right? They're thinking he's going to have bad things done to him too. And so when Jesus says, this Samaritan didn't stop, but instead had compassion, you'd probably find another gasp in the crowd. And 34, he felt compassion, so he came to him and he bandaged up his wounds, pouring oil and wine on them. So basically helping to clean up his wounds. And he put him on his own beast, his own donkey, and he brought him to an inn and he took care of him. On the next day, he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper and said, take care of this man. And whatever more you spend, when I return, I will repay you. Now, it's interesting. After Jesus tells this story, he answers the man's question, who is my neighbor, with another question, getting more to the heart of the issue. And so Jesus asked the the lawyer, which of these three, the priest, the Levite, and the Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved, demonstrated, showed to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the robber's hands. So it's interesting. Jesus changes the question from who is my neighbor to how should I neighbor, (laughs) basically. He turns it from a noun to a verb in a sense. How do we neighbor correctly? How do we neighbor our neighbors, right? What does it look like to act like a neighbor? And so the Levite is very interesting. He doesn't say Samaritan. He, he can't find the strength 
or the humility to even utter the words. And so he just says, the one who showed mercy toward him. And Jesus said, go and do the same. So what does it mean to love our neighbor as ourself? It means to show mercy. And the way mercy is described by Jesus here is not an absence of action, not 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 giving someone what they deserve, right? Not withholding punishment from someone, um, but rather the presence of action and a specific action, the presence of compassion, which is not just a moving of the bowels as it's described, not just like feeling sorry for someone after putting yourself in their position, but having that move you to action, right? It's an action. So let's keep that in mind as we continue this breakdown of the beatitude, blessed are the merciful for they will receive mercy. One of the clearest ways that we see this beatitude played out, clearest examples is in Acts chapter nine. And this is a story of Peter and a female disciple named Tabitha. And so Peter is going around um, preaching the gospel around the area of, of Judea and Israel. And uh, so now he comes to a place called Joppa. And Joppa is the place where uh, Jonah in the Old Testament set sail to flee from the presence of the Lord. It's actually where um, Peter is when he receives the vision to go to Cornelius. So there's a really interesting connection there uh, in Acts chapter 9 and 10 to the story of Jonah. That's free for you, (laughs) even though the podcast is free. It's just a little tidbit for you to investigate on your own, uh, also about mercy. But we're not going to talk about Cornelius today or Jonah We're going to talk about this disciple named Tabitha. So verse 36 of Acts 9, it says, Now in Joppa, there was a disciple named Tabitha, which translated in Greek is called Dorcas. This woman was abounding with deeds of kindness and charity, which she continually did. So this is a person, this uh, lady Tabitha is filled with compassion toward people and not just hurting for them, but she does something about it. She is a merciful person. Verse 37, and it happened at that time that she fell sick and she died. And when they washed her body, they laid it in an upper room. I mean, you can understand like her her friends and family being like, golly, father, like why would you let this kind of a person die? Right? She's doing so many good deeds, helping so many people. Why would you let her die? And so the story continues. Since Lydia, Lydda was near Joppa, Peter was in Lydda at the time, the disciples, having heard that Peter was there, sent two men to him, imploring him, do not delay in coming to us. So Peter arose and went with them. And when he arrived, they brought him into the upper room and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Dorcas or Tabitha used to make while she was with them. Now, before I go on, I really want to encourage you to read Mark chapter five. 
And it's the story of Jairus and his little daughter. And I would encourage you just for your own edification to do a correlational study between Matthew five or Mark 5 and this passage here in Acts chapter 10, or Acts chapter 9, because it's so similar. What you see here is Peter getting presented with a situation that he's seen before. He's actually seen this happen with Jesus. And so basically, what does Peter do in this situation? Well, he doesn't ask the question, what would Jesus do? He asks the question in his mind, what did Jesus do? And basically, he just keeps it simple and does what the master did, relying on the Holy Spirit to help him. And so we're going to continue now. So Peter arose and went with them. It's 39. When he arrived, they brought him into the upper room and all the windows stood beside him. Uh, The widows, (laughs) windows. (laughs) All the widows stood beside him. The windows were probably stationary as well. But the widows stood beside him, (laughs) weeping and showing all the tunics and garments that Tabitha used to make while she was with them. But Peter sent them all out and he knelt down and prayed, turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And it's very interesting. Jesus, when he sees the little girl, Jairus's little daughter dead, he says, Talitha kum, not Tabitha, Talitha. Talitha means little girl. Kum means get up, basically. Peter, it's, it's very, Luke is just doing a masterful job with this. Um, it's really interesting. So Peter says, Tabitha, Tabitha, arise. And just like the little girl in Mark 5, Tabitha, Dorcas, opens her eyes. And when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and he raised her up, calling the saints and the widows. He presented her alive. And it became known all over Joppa. And many believed in the Lord. And Peter stayed many days in Joppa with a tanner named Simon. So it's really amazing. This You see this beatitude played out so well, right? Tabitha, this woman full of mercy, kindness, compassion toward others. She comes to a place where she is completely in need, right? She is helpless and she receives help. Right? She dies. She can't, can't do anything about that. Right, <laughs> Nobody can do anything about that except for God. God can do something about that. That is not a situation that is too hard for God. And so Tabitha, this woman of mercy, also receives mercy in her time of need. Now, we're going to look at very quickly what this, how this corresponds to Jesus. Okay. And to do that, I want to go back to the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you know anything about Samaritans and Jews, they did not get along, right? The Jewish people viewed the Samaritans as like dogs, basically, as subhuman, kind of, I mean, just an abhorrent view toward a person as seeing them as less than human. I mean, that is just, ugh, it's reprehensible. But that's how they viewed them, particularly because the Samaritans are the Israelites who intermarried with the nations when uh, the great um, diaspora happened uh, after the Assyrians sacked Israel and they exiled the, or they sent the Israelites into exile. 
And so these Israelites, many of them intermarried and became known as these Samaritans. And of course, there's also history there uh, when Jeroboam and Rehoboam were Solomon's sons and Solomon left the kingdom to them. They had this fight and Jeroboam went to the north and set up his temple in Mount Gerizim. And uh, they had the two golden calves in this temple, right? And so there's, there's that element true too, where um, the Jews are viewing the Samaritans as idol worshipers because in many ways they were. Um, so the Jews believed that the Samaritans only deserved bad things. They were viewed as enemies of the Jews, enemies. And so I want you to think about this parable, the Good Samaritan, as it relates to Jesus. In many ways, we are that man, beaten, bloody, left for dead on the side of the road. And Jesus is that Good Samaritan. You know, he's viewed by us as our enemy before we're saved. We view God, and particularly Jesus, as a threat to us, and oftentimes someone who's going to wreck our life, um, an evil God, you know, this is an evil being, you know, uh, this is how we're often viewing Jesus. And we were his enemies too, because we were following, as Ephesians 2 says, following the prince of the air. We were disciples of the devil, basically, doing his will. And yet Jesus comes to us, as Romans 5 would say, while we were still helpless at just the right time, right? God demonstrated his love toward us and that while we were sinners, Christ died for us, right? He reconciled us to the Father when we were his enemies. That's so strong. It's so strong. Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan who does, who goes above and beyond. He doesn't just help us. He helps us at great expense to himself because he did, he died for us. What more could he do? And he didn't just go there and just save us so that we could go to heaven. He actually gives us his spirit, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit to transform us, to become like his image. And so, this is just inc incredible. Jesus is the ultimate good Samaritan. He's the ultimate example of mercy. And just like um, when he was at his greatest time of need, uh, as Peter describes in his first sermon in Acts chapter two, the day of Pentecost, right? God did not abandon his soul to Hades, uh, as we see in uh, Psalm 16. God did not abandon him, but he raised him from the dead. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy. Who do you need to show mercy to? Who is God calling you to help? Who can you neighbor today? I want to encourage you to be someone like Tabitha, someone full of mercy in light of the great mercy that's been shown to you. And just like that story with Tabitha, God is going to do great things through you and God is going to do great things for the kingdom of God through you. And your testimony will be one that blesses so many people as you reflect this great characteristic of a citizen of heaven 
the characteristic of mercy. God bless you. Easier said than it's done. Cast it out and love someone, yeah. Absorb their poison like a sponge. And take a breath for love has won.